Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special, I guess, kick off the new year edition of Turn Out of Punk. Looking back on the last year of Turn Out of Punk, I am one of your hosts today, Damien Abraham, and your other host from Turn Out of Punk Footnotes, coming from behind the Patreon, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Good. What's going on, Dame? Well, I could not wrap up this year without yourself because I think yourself and Tristan, of course, my brother who books the show, are, are really the two people that keep this thing going in a uh, uh, a morale capacity. Sometimes when my when I'm real <laughs> down in the dumps on stuff, you know, I can rely on on being able to call you guys after an episode, and you guys seem to be the only people that are receptive to some of the things that. Uh, I find fascinating about doing this show. So yeah, buddy, I, I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I enjoy listening. Well, we are going to be talking about the biggest year uh, in turned at a punk history in terms of number of episodes, Chris. I think we have a, a, a whopping, um, well, I think the official count, not including special episodes, because I think there were, there were, Four special episodes, I believe. Rise Against Wrap-Up Week with Zach Blair. There was the uh, look at the Toronto Metal Book. And then there was the look at uh, Architects of Destruction with Brad Logan. And then there were also four splits. There were five recorded, Chris, but we can't talk about the other one yet. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, you know the other one. You're on the other one. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I did not get that. Yes. You're right. I forgot we did it that long ago. That's right. But, yep. uh, so between those that brings us to eight and then official episodes, the account is at 385 for the year. We started at 301 way back with Otto from uh sold out fanzine and the Detroit documentary. And we ended it with Josh Zucker. Wait, no, I guess we had Mike and, and Joan on too this week but you know I, I i can't think of a more apropos way to end it with with zed i think josh is the only person we had with a zed last name this year <laughs> and uh full disclosure i've yet to catch up on that one i feel bad because i really want to listen to it and i've heard very good things amongst the uh whatever the inner circle of the turned out of punk world let's say that, well uh, the, go, are, you, are you talking the josh episode or the mike episode the Josh, both, both for sure. But Josh is the one I'm most intrigued by because he, from my experience, has done the least amount of press. <laughs> I thought you were going to say done the least, period. Because I well, think no, he no, does no, a lot no, behind no. the scenes. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm no, no, joshing I mean, like, with you, buddy. No, I mean, yes, regarding <laughs> talking. He's not usually the, the, the person speaking from my experience in terms of on behalf of the band or whatever. No, he does, and and he's also probably book smart, the smartest out of all of us too. So you know, he's probably the one that should be leading a lot more of these conversations. But he's not the <laughs> loudest, Chris. He's definitely not the loudest. No, he's your your band is a has a very collective. Uh, you're you're very bright as a collective, so. That's certainly high praise for Josh B. I would agree. I, again, he's the most mysterious member of the band to me because, you know, I, I have, I don't have a, uh, a long history with him, but I, I find him very, very uh, pleasant. Well, he's a self-professed rarest member of the band. He describes himself as, 
And uh, you know, I guess I guess it kind of sums it up. You know, rarest, but that's that's what we do here on Turnout of Punk. We hunt down the rare ones, and boy, this year was a hunt. And those last two episodes were very self-serving, the fucked up episodes, uh, to wrap up the year. But the rest of the year was chock-a-block with with people from all walks of the entertainment world, Chris. It is nuts, and this is probably the first year that I wasn't able to, and again, out of no really fault other than just life getting busy and whatever but this is the first year i didn't probably listen to uh, not only didn't probably didn't listen to everyone it's very rare um but so I, I had been going through the list of what was this year because as you know i'm sure for you as well the last kind of two years have been a blur for the most part so i recall listening to different episodes but i had assumed a lot of the ones i had listened to were from the previous year and i can <laughs> But back to what you were saying earlier, like you put out a lot this year, and I didn't realize I've actually listened to a great amount, as it turns out, because I just did a list of the ones I wanted to like big up and talk about, and it's like very long. <laughs> this year would be a year where I'm looking at it, going, "Ah, oh, I didn't listen to them all, and I, I got to listen to so many more." It's like I've still listened to a ton. So yeah, great work, and the, the list is insane, by the way. Right, like going through it. Well, I got to give full respect to Tristan on uh on just booking it because yeah that's pretty much what he he would do he'd set them up i'd have to do a lot of research i found this year also i was like very research heavy because i didn't rely on just having friends on and, and wanting to have people on and, and and knowing in enough stuff and you know like all that kind of bullshit but apart from that tristan like really did kind of you know set it up for me you know i just would show up every day and or you know there'd be an email from him or a text message from him being like Guess who's coming on this week? And I really do feel like there's no way to top it this year, you know? And then there were some, like, other weird things. Like, some weird people reached out. Not weird people. Like, very cool people. But uh, uh, some people reached out out of nowhere in the last year, which I thought, you know, was very surprising. You know, people that, you know, I had no idea would would like the show. Like, you know, uh, Bill Hader. I think that was the, the biggest shock for me still was Bill Hader reaching out and being like, Hey, I, I like the show through John Worcester and I want to come on it. And that was kind of, uh, yeah, that was, that was a, that's a, a big moment for the show. Definitely the episode that people listened to the most this year. And when I reached out in an informal poll kind of way and, and said, Hey, what was some of your favorite episodes? That one came up kind of sort of time and time again, consistently. Yeah, I would agree. That was a big, like that was a big get. And I think it was like, you're describing for me, it was a very, um like as far as the comedy world you've had brushes with that and and everyone i think if you're an avid listener you're aware of that obviously of you know sharpling worcester is a great example or um even armison or um trying to else david cross various you know characters that deservedly have been on and spoken to and um but hater was one that i didn't know anything about personally like i like i love his work but I definitely didn't assume he was a music guy, let alone, you know, into punk per se. But so that episode is great on on many levels. I just think it's a great conversational episode, but I think it's very, uh, just very, he's just very humble. He's, I, I really enjoyed it, but I've spoken to a number of people throughout the year who said the same thing as what you're saying. A lot of people who like are aware that I have a, you know, an affiliation with the show just would bring that up to me. 
like that specific episode, like they were very impressed by it and blah, blah, blah. And it was rightfully, but yeah, it's uh that was a great one. Really, really pleased with how that turned out. And you know, it's always cool when you like someone's work that you don't associate with this world at all. And it's cool to know that they have a interest in it. I don't know. I'm just always pleased with that. Yeah. No, that's, that's the thing. So like, it, it just reinforces the underlying thesis of this show or one of the underlying theses of the show. There's a lot of thesis, thesis, thesis. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the plural is. Yeah. Thesis, I think. <laughs> anyway, yeah. there's a lot of them for this show, but one of them is that there's an under, like kind of the main one is that there's this underlying uh, web that connects everyone that's cool in pop culture. Not everyone. And, and not everyone who likes punk is cool, but like, you know, go with me for a second and, and, you know, finding out that Bill Hader was in it. Like, it's like, Oh shit. Yeah, of course. That's why Barry's so awesome. That's like, mm. that's why, you know, I always thought this guy was so cool. Cause there's just time and time again, you peel back the layers and you're like, Oh yeah, this person's into this thing too. Well, okay. That explains, you know, maybe why I, I connected with what the work they put out. Yeah, I think with him, and I had forgotten when you got, you know, got him on or whatever, that he was like the the most kind of related work was that um, what the hell's that skit called? Fist 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 fight in the parking lot, yeah. like the punk yeah fist wedding fight in the parking skit, lot yeah, which is so it's still so great and still so funny and it was so funny at the time, but like. Um, that's probably the only thing I really associated obviously with pump, but I forgot he was in that skit entirely mm -hmm. until you got him on. I was like, Oh yeah, that's amazing. So, and then knowing obviously a little, a little bit more now that he was even into this kind of music at all. is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I just think that's a good, I, I, I think that episode is very much a perfect marriage of um, not only your thesis for the show, but kind of the way you are in general as a person, like, I think you're the kind of person that is magnetic for people of all walks of life. And, and the show obviously now is a, is a, is a conduit for that more than even your previous, you know, uh, social life or whatever in, in playing music, but, uh, or not a previous, whatever current ongoing, but, you know, much more active touring prior. Um, nowadays, I think it just comes to you, if you will, you know what I mean? A little easier. And I think that Bill's a great example of, how like you're saying these worlds aren't too far apart i mean it's impressive for me as just like someone who considers themselves completely on the periphery in this day and age that like i know someone connected to these worlds at all because <laughs> you always have pretty interesting tales <laughs> to me so bill was a definitely one i was impressed with but great episode for sure i think also from bill meeting bill and it kind of got me you know and obviously knowing fred previously um, but got me thinking more about the Saturday Night Live punk adjacentness of the Ooh. of the show and like other people on the show that that you know might be like no one's going to top Fred Armisen on the punk thing. Like I think you know I didn't really even appreciate it till this year. Like how fascinating his punk journey is when you look at it being this guy's coming from New York hardcore, going in D.C., winding up in Chicago. He's got all these bands, you know, not just. Trenchmouth, of course, who are, are pretty much celebrated at this point, but he's got that early band that we talked about and then his episode way back when. And then he's got mm -hmm. another demo band that he told me about recently that, 
you know, sounds like the bridge band between these two things for him. So his journey is like incredible, but like, you know, there's other people maybe like Bill that are at this sort of punk sympathy. And through researching that I uncovered, and I don't, we talked about this too, I think Chris way back when I covered it, but like, uh, there somewhere on a Reddit thread, there are photos of a Coneheads punk rock sketch back in the day featuring a very young Bill Murray, I believe is in it. Uh, probably Dan Aykroyd because it's the Coneheads mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and then definitely John Belushi. Yeah. But I think even wasn't Coneheads also, um, oh, Moranis as well. No, no, no. Moranis was on SCTV. No, but I thought anyway, I'm confusing something, but either way. Um, yeah, very cool. I do remember vaguely discussing that. I, I don't have a vivid memory of this skit itself, but yeah, I do recall that coming up at some point. That's one of my favorite things I found this year. I think uh, if I look back on it, like on things I saw on the internet, I saw a lot of cool shit on the internet this year. My number <laughs> one, though, the dress rehearsal photographs of the Conan's Punch Punk skit, which did not make it to the TV. I blame Lauren Michaels. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I've never, you know, obviously everyone knows the big tales of people associated, like you're saying the Belushi thing and the fear thing, obviously. Uh, and then the, you know, the sprinkling of guests, which either are directly or somewhat related um, that just played. But yeah, it's always cooler when I, you hear tell of like cast members or whatever. Um, but yeah, Bill, Bill was great. I think though, it's funny you're getting Bill at a point when he has you know, whatever he's progressed on to something else in his career as well. So you're mm-hmm. getting him like as a showrunner and actor on a, you know, a, a very, I would imagine very successful HBO program. So that's another whole feather in your cap. You're not just getting like, you know, a rando member of the SNL cast. You're getting some like well-established similar to actually Armisen, same deal. It's rare that you see, not rare. Like there are definitely people who progress from SNL that like have found their lane or gotten really successful, but, there's a lot that haven't seemed to find their footing in the way you would have expected, or at least I would have expected. But Bill and Fred are good examples of being very, uh, I don't know, whatever, able to have done it, pivoted it well post SNL. He's had a wild career too. You know, like uh, we talked about in the episode, but he was like, he's BB-8 in those uh, Star Wars sequels. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he, he wrote... <laughs> for south park he um, was on curb he's on the, the most recent season of curb yeah I'm, I'm i'm a couple episodes behind but he's on curb yeah yeah, and, yeah i was very pleased to see him on that yeah well I, I think you know his episode is is definitely the episode that people listen to the most the episode that i think kind of slipped through the cracks this year was the from a few weeks earlier when joe maganello was on who of mm-hmm. course was in true blood was in justice league and uh all sorts of things and his episode is one of my favorites this year because i think he is one of the chillest dudes that i've met yeah i I like that he entertained the show um good episode good get for you of course um i think it that episode is very uh telling for me in someone i never thought i would remotely relate with (laughs) in any capacity um just hearing tell like that he was like, or is arguably was as a previous, I guess, but like is a big Rollins guy, which isn't really surprising to see, you know, to judge a book by its cover, I guess. Um, but 
you know, even that's kind of cool. So yeah, it was a good episode. I, I was not, when you told me that that was kind of coming, I was very perplexed as to how that was a thing. <laughs> not that you would do it. I just thought, yeah, okay, cool. Get him. But I didn't know. But yeah, he was super, super chill. Again, for someone I wouldn't have um, expected to be as uh, whatever amiable as he was. In the episode, he brings up a friend of his who, after the episode I found out, played in Rambo too. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, so he's got actually deep DIY connections as well. Um, yeah, no, he he's super awesome. And to me, it also brought up this concept that really gets explored in the Elgin James episode uh, much later in the year of, of Rollins as this sort of like male archetype for hardcore punk adjacent people alternative nation type people in the 90s like he was like this adonis that a lot of young young people young men especially i guess were were kind of emulating or trying to be like like joe says that that's the reason he started working out and then in the elgin james episode he talks about how he was so inspired by rollins that he him and, and jocko like very famous motivational <laughs> speaker uh, started stalking Rollins at a certain point. The, yeah, the tour stories are amazing on that episode from Elgin. Um, yeah, I, I think the, one of my favorite parts about the program that you do is unintentionally that you just by the virtue, like by the amount of people you've spoken to at this point and you continue to, there you get, you know, semi frequent stories of the characters involved in this world. And Rollins is one that I don't, you know, there's certainly been enough talk about Rollins throughout the history of the program, but it's, you know, for how large a character he is on like a, a cultural spectrum or whatever, he doesn't he had a lot of stories on this program um, from guests, uh, you know, relative to say your G.G. Allen or your um, even Danzig or whatever, right? So, um, but anyway, the, yeah, I'm with you. I think the Elgin episode is very telling in terms of, Rollins as that sort of like guiding light and the North star for, uh, you know, a generation, I think in the nineties to recognize that Rollins was like maybe the sort of largest personality in this world is kind of bizarre to think back on now for me. But it, mm -hmm. yeah, even for me, like I, I always have like a difficult relationship with it because I like his work. Obviously I love his black flag work. I think the Rollins band's fine. I don't like it all, but I like some of it. Definitely was a, a getting on point for me as well. Um, his writing, I've never really you know did, dove into, to be honest. I mean, I, I like that he does it, but um, it's never never been something that I've like you know been religiously about. Uh, but I've known a lot of people who have. So yeah, it's it's weird. Like I, I just I respect his work. I even like his acting, but I just, he's one of those people that isn't like my guy, if you will, or however you want to phrase that. Um, but it's hard to ignore that. Yeah. He was perhaps for a minute anyway, probably the largest influencer, you know, to use a dirty word in the underground for a, a good while, especially in the nineties. No, definitely. Like, I think, I, like it's it's hard to kind of like put it in terms but i guess in like a pre-kirk cobain world yeah. like he was he's the guy from like the alternative music scene that people kind of like you know he's he's doing like ads 
and and is just you know and is just mainstreamly popular at that point well yeah i even remember it's funny recently i was listening to um um, the first chicks dig it record which i hadn't listened to in a while and i had forgotten that they have a song about henry is it the first one maybe i'm wrong maybe it's the second one but one of the records they have a song about henry rollins and uh and it's like i totally forgot and it's like (laughs) even just like that is hilarious to me like um shout out chicks dig it too great band but um just the idea that like you know again that first record i think is like 95 or 96 something like that and uh you know that yeah like there's an example right and it's just yeah i think just there there are certain characters which you'll always hit which for you know not to put it on say joe who we're referencing his episode but like you know i would consider that the, the quote-unquote people like as if people say uh like to say it sounding derogatory but i don't intend it to sound derogatory but it's just the easiest shorthand way of saying it like quote unquote the straight world as opposed to the underground whatever you want to say like i find that there are certain hallmark characters that are always going to be the on-ramps for people rollins is certainly one and you know danzig obviously is another or you mckay or these larger than life characters for the most part um and i think that you know at any point in time, it's like if you had, it's like a, um, whatever it is, fifth, six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever the game is that you always play with different. Uh, yeah, six degrees you, of Kevin Bacon, right? It's six degrees, but you had, I thought you pivoted to doing it with. Six degrees of Gigi Allen. It was Gigi Allen. That's right. That's our shows. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but point being, it's just, yeah, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but just Rollins, of course, overwhelming influence without a doubt thought it was cool that joe was into it and you are right it's it's just different to think about you know a whole different set of people that i would not have thought would have gotten into this through just single-handedly rollins's influence yeah no rollins is like it's it's funny because rollins is i guess the apex of something that starts kind of with you know jello biafra you know, and, and it's funny because Joe Biafra was on for his part two this year. And we kind of, yep. I parsed this with him a little bit, but the sort of idea that like punk rock, as much as it is anti-celebrity and hardcore, obviously as well, and anti-rock star, it also foists people up into these positions where they're almost beyond rock stars, where they almost become like, like, uh, I don't know, like, like I- icons for people. And then like, ultimately these icons have to fall for people at a certain point too. But it's interesting when Jello was on, because I think Jello's the first person to kind of go through this in hardcore. Yeah, probably. I mean, he, of course, amongst the names I said, just for, you know, a minute ago or whatever, but Jello of course is one of those. Um, maybe the most identifiable uh, if not the most, maybe second to Danzig or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and I think like incredibly important, obviously. We've discussed this before. I mean, he's been on before. I'm sure we gushed at that point. Um, yeah, Jello, I, I, it's, you make an interesting point because what I've always thought was kind of, I like it about the punk world or, you know, whatever, punk hardcore world or whatever you want to call what this is. Like, I like the idea that that exists though. I like the idea that there are characters that are elevated as much as 
At times, it can be frustrating, not necessarily with the individuals we've highlighted, but perhaps others um, throughout history who've maybe not covered themselves in, in the greatest glories in, say, recent years, certainly. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I just think it's a, the way it goes. But it is funny because I think for something that is very much like the ethos tends to be like, well, there are no rules. It's like it's very orthodox, though, in the way um like there is a a weird hierarchical element to punk that has always existed even at you know one of the greatest institutions that ever existed within this which is you know mrr for an example like they had a deity as well still do Mm -hmm. so um yeah to suggest that there are no rules and there are no leaders and whatever is not entirely accurate i think there's always been um whatever people at the forefront um you know no matter which way you see it anyway, go on. i guess maybe like a human thing too because like if you look yeah. at like 12 steps right like the first thing you have to do is acknowledge a higher power like put a <laughs> higher power above you right yeah 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 um to take the place of you know alcohol or drugs in your life or whatever is, is in your life that you know you're trying to get out of it and then i think in the same way like punk and hardcore you need that too you need to have someone that you put above everything else that you can kind of be aspirational towards that can take the place of and i guess the traditional uh gratifications that you would get from things i don't know like it's i'm 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 not articulating it properly but just this idea that it seems to happen you know naturally with people where you where people just like need their gods yeah i i think and i i don't know for i I agree. Yes. I don't know <laughs> why in the punk. I just think it, it's funny in the punk world because it's sort of, there's like an inherent fallacy to that, but yet it is just very much the reality. It's, but it, you know, punk loves to kill its idols too. So there's that rite of passage. And now I think you're seeing it. You're, you're really seeing it now in, in I think in like say the nineties, um, which I would say is certainly like you, like my formative years, like my early formative years in this, like things were distant, but the eighties weren't like three decades away. Right. So, so many of these people were such prominent figures, like in the eighties that it was like, Oh, okay. Like 10 years ago, you weren't that far off. Now it's like, <laughs> again, like three decades going on four or some. So like, for like the average, you know, 15 year old to relate with the cultural hallmarks of like who some of these individuals are is not that it's irrelevant, but it's very much way different than when we got into it. Right. So it's, it is funny to see that shift and how these, uh, some of these individuals have been taken up in, in modern times. Um, not to say that they've been discarded at all, but just the idea that, you know, how much that influence is still carried or, or has it changed or what, does it represent now differently than it did say in the nineties or whatever? Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a funny thing to think about, but yeah, punk is odd that way. It's funny. We just got on a philosophical talk based on the Joe Meganello episode, but, uh, yeah, that's where it goes, buddy. We talked, started talking Rollins. Next thing you know, we're, we're getting into poetry. <laughs> yeah. It's natural. Uh, I guess in terms of, you know, that was kind of a constant theme throughout this year is sort of these like larger, philosophical themes that kind of i guess run throughout punk and hardcore and the sort of this idea of of like what motivates 
people in punk, you know, and, and positively and negatively, you know, and I think the negative yeah. side of that is certainly the violence, which uh, I don't know if it's my obsession or just the obsession of punk in general, that this seems to come up time and time again. No, I'm, that's not gonna, I'm not gonna take the blame for this. It's punk's obsession. The song is like <laughs> called violence, like straight up, there's straight up songs called violence. So it's punk's mm -hmm. obsession with violence. Um, yeah. You know, positively and negatively, but I think on the negative side, I think, you know, and, and, and really, Nicole Panter, full credit to her for for really breaking it down. And of course, she's a someone who's trained in sort of therapy and trauma. But the way she described it is people with trauma inflicting trauma on other people who will in turn inflict trauma on other people. I, I think really kind of, uh, I don't know, that, that's something that I, it came up time and time again on other episodes of People That Hurt Her's episode. And it just feels like that's something that is going to be, uh, you know, like something that carries beyond this year for the show. Yeah. I, but I think you know, when you discuss with people, whatever guests you have on, I think now enough ice has been broken that, you know, maybe in the beginning, if you were in, interacting with people and they had absolutely no idea about you or like what this was or whatever. And I'm sure there are still some that you get interviews with that maybe don't quite have a clue, but but in terms for the most part, I think like just even in general, the way the podcasts operate nowadays, it's, it's a very um, intriguingly earnest uh, medium, if you will. So I'm never shocked to think that that comes up, but yeah, I, I think in the punk world, which is why I think, you know, this whole thing is never ever going to die as much as people want to, you know, claim it's death or whatever at various times, every six to 10 years. Um, I think it's because it ultimately is the, you know, a place for people that are genuinely outsiders. And I think that it will never change mm -hmm. because that's, you know, that's never, that's never going to be something for me anyway, that's ever going to go away. But in terms of what you're referencing, yeah, there's a long history of it. I mean, even on like, not this year's guest, but a previous year, like when you discussed with Penelope, Penelope spheres, like the decline, um, the last decline, um, whatever the hell it's called, the punk years, or even the first one. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just shows kind of the lifestyle of some people that um, get into this and, and for better or worse, how it ends up sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, have anything profound to say other than that on your point. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I find it's like, I don't know. I feel like this year more than other years, it, it like, it got more earnest on on certain topics you know people were a little less guarded on on things people people you know let stuff fly at some times and you know <laughs> we're critical of past guest bands and past guest period and things like that like um <laughs> it was a yeah it was it was a contentious year uh in the turn of the punk world you know we had a first on-air walk-off yes which we've talked about but yeah we've talked about it on I, footnotes but i guess we have, it's ever never been discussed on the open oh, forum okay, but yeah, yeah. Well, we don't have to discuss it now we can move on hey that's on you i don't need <laughs> i'm uh yeah no comment go on <laughs> um i think another thing that kind of came up, up a few times on speaking of the earnest side of things is the uh mm -hmm. the way people are kind of chewed up by this you know i guess i don't know vocation lifestyle or whatever like i think it came up it, it, it certainly came up on 
on episodes with like Nate Roos, who's someone who walked completely away from music and has nothing to do with it anymore. And, uh, you know, came up uh, as well on the episode with Julian Baker. I think our mutual friend Dallas kind of touched on it, too. It's the idea that, like, I don't know, I think it's even harder for people that kind of come out of a a DIY punk rock background. I think actually, you know, the Japanese Breakfast episode as well, she talks about it. And sort of this guilt of wanting to do right by your band and doing right by all the people around you and just how much harder that becomes and how this music industry is not really set up to maintain doing that. Like this music industry is set up more to just to kind of steer you another way. And I think that winds up wearing on people. Like I think if you go back and listen to, you know, a lot of episodes with people that had experienced success, they talk about, you know, the, the mental wear of it a little bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think you've been pretty open with that as well. Not to, you know, whatever place to project that on you. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I've had enough experience in this world and with, you know, very successful and or moderately successful people at different points that I see it always. And I think it's a difficult thing to manage, um, especially on like a just a level. And this is why I've always, and I still maintain, uh, irregardless of my position in this in a band or whatever at any given point in time I'm always a, a fan first of it I don't really have certainly at this point in my life any interest in you know being a part of it in a uh, whatever in a way that's like contributing other than just supporting if you will um, yeah but it's difficult and it's difficult because it's a you know I mean you <laughs> one it's it's a you know largely speak you know it's a full contact sport to use an analogy and uh, takes a lot out of you physically and mentally it takes a lot out of you because often <laughs> you're broke, <laughs> which doesn't help. And uh, there's a lot of monotony to the, the touring process. I think this year you're probably hearing that a lot more in the show. If I had to guess, because people have had a large, you know, generally about two years of reflection. Mm-hmm. to think about what they've done for the last say decade or more. And I think a lot of people have realized when they, their pace has changed completely or their life has been upended, like most people, just how much, you know, they're taking stock of what it was like prior and maybe assessing what will no longer be accepted or, or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have enough, uh, you would be able to speak on that as much as you're asking. I think you're, you're more of an authority than I would be to speak on that in terms of uh, having a lot more um, invested than I do. Well, it's, it's interesting when you start getting rewarded for doing something that you love doing for free anyway, mm-hmm. and yeah. where it suddenly becomes something like it, it becomes something that you have to, start analyzing and Mm. and trying to figure out and and navigating and you know it's and it's funny because it doesn't seem that big of a deal but it's interesting to see how many people bring it up as being something that that you know they struggled with or still struggle with in in some cases and i find i find that interesting and then also you have people like tim heidecker who's like yeah i think it's all bullshit like i don't give a fuck (laughs) <laughs> nobody that's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. refreshingly honest no I, well i think there are different personalities i think there's people who also 
you know, for better or worse, just refuse to acknowledge it either in a certain capacity. This idea that, you know, you're, you're the master of your own domain or whatever you want to say that just don't, you know, just think you should just be able to power through whatever at any given time. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, I just, from my experience personally, I think most people that I've known who are creative in any capacity, be it related to this world or elsewhere, uh, I feel like they're a little more, I don't know what the word is like, like they're just a little more uh, like in tune maybe with what, like with these kind of um, it's like, I don't want to say if I, the way I would say it, it just sounds so bleak and I'm in my head. I'm like, I don't want it to come out like that, but it's just, I feel like there's a, there's a degree of sensitivity that I feel like people who are invested in the creative world are in tune with or something that mm-hmm. uh, tends to show more. And, and there's certainly guests you've had that, you know, some you mentioned by name moments ago that, you know, that's kind of their vocation as well, that they're expected to mine that. And that has to be draining. Um, even on, like I said, even for you, you know, most people who know you know of you as a visceral performer. You know, even just that act in and of itself on a tour is is a is like a hard thing to continue to you know give every night or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, let alone for decades. So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't. Um, yeah, I think though, for the most part, my uh, logic on this is I just think a lot more people have had time to uh, analyze it, given our you know sort of upended state of things at the minute. I think, it, you know, the, the, what you're saying, you know, like the sensitivity of people in the arts, you know, or especially, especially lead singers of bands, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. something that also came across this year. No, um, it's, yeah, you've talked about it before. And, and I, I, I do think that isn't it like not to give any more credence to say a front person over another, uh, you know, position in any given group or whatever, but it is weird to be the person that is, you know, has to be, or his job is to be the embodiment of what, you know, what everyone is seeing. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, is that a lot of people who get into this, I'm sure yourself included, get into it for reasons that are auxiliary to that notion of like having to carry the weight of everyone's expectation. And not only that, but like speaking of the idea, and actually I can segue this to one of the guests, I think, Martin um, from Los Crudos you had on this year, which is also a great episode. I think he really articulated that well, this notion of like people projecting onto him all of these things and the expectation that he always had to have like some kind of a rant ready or, or, you know, things like that. And it just, he felt like at a certain point in his life, it no longer, not that he didn't feel that way in life, but just it no longer was applicable to, have to be grandstanding all the time he yeah. didn't want that to be the part of what he was trying to express all the time um and i think that that's something very much in punk for sure that's why i am always amazed at like the the veterans in punk like the the front people veterans because it's such a you know yes you get praise or whatever but it's it's so thankless also and it's it deals with so much nonsense (laughs) like like you have to deal with so much projection from people 
especially like the the marquee names that we've brought up already in this discussion. Like I can't even imagine what every living day for those people is like, because for the most part you're encountering people who are sure they're fans and that's probably flattering, but at the same time, like what little experience I've had, and I don't know, I'm assuming you're the same. It gets incredibly frustrating for people to feel like they know you, but they don't know you at all. And like they're, their projection of what they think you are through your work, which, you know, can be accurate to a degree or, or cannot be. It's a hell of a thing that you just want to not be associated with after a while. At least I didn't at different points of time in my little pointless, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever times in doing that. But yeah, anyway, go on. It's also interesting when you, when you, when you juxtapose, uh, like that verse, like Martine versus Jello Biafra, who we're talking about, where like, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like Martine made the choice at that point, like to not become what people projected upon him, like this character. Like, and then he does Limpress, which is a complete 180, not politically or ideologically at all from what he was doing in Los Crudos, but like presentation wise, like, like what he was doing as the person that was presenting their art to the public. And obviously he's a multifaceted artist, but I mean, just in the, his most public presentation of this art, yeah. um, he, he shifted it up and changed the narrative. So he didn't have to become almost this character, right? Like you almost have to like give people this character that they want because your product is you. And it's funny when you have someone like, you know, Alistair Black, who's a pro wrestler that was on this year, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I'm sure probably an episode that I don't know if you listened to, um, I actually, I think we did. We talked about this episode, Chris, actually Alistair Black's episode uh, way back when, but he's someone who's a wrestler and wrestlers can take off the character. You know, they don't Mm. have to be the character, but still it's talked about how wrestlers are, are constantly at risk of, of getting subsumed by this character that they're playing on stage for people or in the ring for people. And it's interesting to kind of see Martine talk about these polls that kind of come from this, thing of just being in a band especially being the lead singer of a band yeah i think as well that martine although uh senior to you and i is sort of sort of in our generational gravity enough to have not been you know whatever the pioneering class if you will of this thing i mean he is now but i in terms of like what he represented in say the nineties was like the, the waves after that sort of first pioneering generation, if you will, or whatever that he, I think there's like a, he was, he, like you and I were able to see a lot more cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. So the idea of wanting to, you know, become that sort of, because the reality is like, no one wants to, at least from my experience like no one really wants to misrepresent this genre or whatever or themselves no one wants to you know become the humorless person that just has to like rain on everyone's parade about you know whatever political diatribe you want or whatever thing you want to you know be crusading about at the moment but obviously there are certain things that are important and should always be kind of you know mentioned or um sought of or considered but it's a difficult thing to, to have to want to do that for every waking moment of your life, let alone in your artistic life, which one would assume 
or, or I would assume most people gravitate to as sort of like maybe an escape or maybe, you know, just a way to have a cathartic, you know, thing that isn't related to the stresses of these issues, let's say, or whatever. Just isn't to say that no one should, you know, there's many good acts that you and I could cite that uh, like have lived and died on that hill. I mean, most of them having said that are very short lived. It's a very rare that you have like the Jelly Biafras or even to a degree, the Martins and people like that. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where else to go on this, but yeah. It's interesting like how much this show, you know, specifically, but like as in general, you wind up focusing on this really small part of this person's life. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think about like the, the black flag stuff, right? Like it's, it's like the first four years for a lot of people only, you know, and then it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. these people like live lives to this day, you know, and their lives yeah. are changing. They are changing as people. And it's interesting, like the, the difference between guests who have been on the show that have one project that they've carried through their whole life, like Greg Ga- Graffin and bad religion, you yeah. know, versus, you know, like other people that just had, you know, these completely divorced experiences from their early sort of like punk lives and now they're living completely different worlds you know like light years away from what they once did it's it's interesting just sort of like you know the sort of like life career art project um versus sort of like this sort of idea that you can have many different art projects over your life you know and then versus someone like uh you know john brandon or jello by afro where like their life becomes almost their work. Yeah. And I, I think it's the, the, the interesting point you make about certainly John um, is it's also difficult back to this idea of like projection and what people think of you and, and sort of embodying that whole thing or whatever. His interview is so great because I think it's one, it's incredibly candid and it's, you know, just a great thing to have on record for people that, are interested in the group and, and to kind of hear that tale of even just the um, the pre-negative approach stuff and all that too. But he's kind of one of these people that, it, you know, was always a larger than life figure on underground music, this idea of like, you know, him being like the realist and arguably he still is. Right. So it's, but it's, a, it's a real, you know, that doesn't always play. It doesn't always work out. And, uh, and it's few and far between that, that there are people like that that you can really kind of hang your hat on and say, hey, now this person's still super legit and has always done great stuff and, you know, this, that, and the other. I think it's a testament to him. I think it's a testament to any of these longstanding, like, you know, to use the word again, like veterans of this genre that uh, I think John in particular is thankfully is getting a little more uh, notoriety in the last, you know, few years especially. And this year, maybe more than most because of that reissue on Third Man and everything. Mm-hmm. But, um, and rightfully, all of it rightfully. But it's one of those things where it's nice to see people like him. I think your, your show has done a great job of that, too. I think you've got a lot of guests on this year that I think are, uh, although they are marquee names to folks like you and I, they're perhaps not the first names people would think of. And it's nice to see them getting their due and, and telling their story and, and kind of hearing it and realizing just how, you know, pivotal they are to either the band they represent or bands they represent, or just in general, you know, to this world or whatever you want to say. Um, John, never more so than that. There was a few others. Uh, what's his name? Paul from the Zero Boys was great. Uh, Lauren from the Dogs, who you also had on. 
uh, was another very good one. Kevin Seconds, of course. Um, there's been just so many this year that kind of represent that. And I think tells, yeah, it's nuts. This, this, <laughs> the guests you've had this year are crazy. I just wrote down 25 randomly. And even I'm omitting Daryl Jennifer in saying that last sentence, which I'm going to yeah. add his name to now. Like it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's insane list. Well, then it's funny you brought up Jennifer there because I want to talk about the fact that like, yeah, like this year we had, and there's a John Worcester episode talking about the rock and roll hall of fame, but mm-hmm. we had three members of the go-go's on who went in the hall yeah. of fame this year. Yeah. Um, and also Nate from the Foo fighters has been on before, but you can't tell yeah. me that like the bad brains aren't as important to the history of rock and roll as, as, as the go-go's and the Foo fighters are, mm-hmm. you know, Agreed. like I, I just, they're, I, they're you know, they are right. Like that's, I think that's absolutely really off, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And I, think, and I would also argue by the same token, like you said, like, yeah, Lauren from the dogs or the Imperial dogs who are yeah. never talked about, but like, I feel that's uh, I'm really happy this year that we could have, you know, obviously the, all these big names on, but also at the same time, like all these people that made just fucking unbelievably incredible music and had this really important place in rock and roll like lauren from the dogs episode is the greatest it's great. story it's so what a, what a story yeah it's really good it's i mean it's it's a classic episode in the sense where um it's just a good story to hear him talk about these things in history so even if people don't have like a, a for me anyway looking at it this way for people that don't have like a like an insanely deep knowledge of say this stuff they can still get you know the gist of like <laughs> him being like ahead of the wave you know five different mm-hmm. times or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. and being in all of these different geographic like geographical locations and interacting with this crazy stuff and that just on one level plays but on the other level for like even folks like you and i it's just like it's crazy the amount of people they were surrounded by or, or near and yet it never somehow never took off other than to become these like really uh this really or these really highly rated like cult bands which granted did like you know there's been a number that have come up on the show throughout the years like i think milk and cookies would be another one but dogs definitely are one of those bands where it's like how didn't this get way bigger it's so good Mm. and the timing is just so it's a timing was just always off but yeah i i thought he did a, a a decent job too of not I mean, one could be very sour <laughs> yeah. Um, about that. And he just seems to be pretty, pretty okay with it, which is cool. Like, and, uh, but again, it's easier now. I think he, they in general, but he probably gets enough um, word from people of how important that band is. So I'm sure that serves enough for him. Yeah. It feels though one of the unfortunate things about this, this era is there's no causality in the way we understand music anymore. It's mm. like, oh, this is a great song. I'm gonna listen to this song, you know, and then maybe mm. you listen to that artist. But like it's not like you get you it's not like you have to sort of put the puzzle together in the same way that you once did. So I feel I'm worried that some of these bands, like especially some of the more obscure bands, are just like just gonna get kind of forgotten a little bit more now. Yeah, my initial thought, um would have been contrary to that in that the internet has provided a greater tool or maybe perhaps these streaming services yeah, true. of, of granting access to that. Having said that though, 
I do kind of concur as someone who's sort of been a, a late adopter to the streaming service thing, um, where the dangerous element of it is that it does sort of, it's hard to articulate, like kind of like take away the, um, not immediacy, but just kind of this like, yes, you have access to it, but it somehow uh, often negates the context entirely, not only just the tactile artifact itself, but just also um, because of the almost disposable nature that, well, everything is streamed, nothing is owned, there is therefore no investment ultimately. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you know, one's mentality surrounding these things could be sort of that, that sort of mentality, right? Which, again, this is me speaking as a purist. I think you're of similar mind in that sense where it's like, uh, that does kind of scare me because I just don't like that idea of people uh, like not giving a shit about this <laughs> personally. But at the same time, you know, what I would say is sort of my favorite aspects of like, this world which were largely discarded things like quote-unquote killed by death things which the deaths occurred because no one gave a shit anymore it's kind of there's sort of like this great futility to that of like looking at it going well i'm gonna i will own the garbage dump then it's great and i'm gonna live here and enjoy it and you all can you know like whatever garbage you like and as long as i have this that's fine by me um but yeah it, it does it it scares me a little bit, but at the same time, like I do think, I don't know, I I'm trying to weigh the pros and cons of like access to, you know, like completely omitting the barrier of entry on this. But at the same time, when you do that, is there no appreciation anymore? I don't know. Is there, you know, I just, that's what I worry about is like, will that be where it all falls away? Just this idea that everything is just this very fleeting, extremely temporary, experience and and what impact does that have anymore um to get very existential but anyway you, you go on well i think you've lost the de the democratization of music discovery yeah in yeah sense that when you used to go to a record store like and this is you know once you get past the barrier of entry of getting your record into the record store once you get past the barrier of entry of what gets front racked and things like that it is pretty democratic, you know, like once you're on the shelf, like your record beside another record, it's like whatever looks better and whatever grabs people's attention. Like, you know, obviously marketing and all that kind of stuff, but like so much stuff I picked up just based on the fact that I'm flipping through and I'm like, well, this is in the section of other music I like, this looks pretty cool. And yeah. with, with streaming, you can kind of, you don't really have that because you will have sort of the biggest artists connected to the artists that you like suggested to you and you don't really you're not really going to be flipping past the random i don't know uh christ on a parade record that you end up buying and and loving because you just look cool yeah i i agree with that and i also think it, it, you spurred a thought in my head which was you know i like the idea of the streaming service thing and all this stuff because it um the missteps one might have are far less actually costly, um, but also it's <laughs> just like time costly, if you will, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I think about it now and I'm like, you know what? Those missteps though are great. Like oh, yeah. it, it sucks, but it sucks like in such a good way that like, 
in years to come or whatever, when you look back on those missteps, you really, it's, it is a really big learning experience to kind of hone your taste or your, whatever you want to say, like your kind of understanding. Um, so yeah, that again, I just think we, at least for me anyway, I just think I sound like a legit old person now, which I guess I am, but um, yeah, I don't know. Revel in it, Chris. there's a place you you totally find feeling old and nostalgic for this stuff no i know but i just don't want to i you know alienate like there are actually people now who don't you know for better or worse like don't give a shit about like what i like and it's a-okay by me but i just feel like i don't want to alienate a listener coming to your show thinking it's like two two old people like whining about like streaming services which it isn't like you and i are adopters of these things for better or worse like i've said all night and uh, i mean yeah so I, I think the average age of the guests this year was 50 something so i don't think we're at <laughs> risk of well i don't mean the guests but yeah, alienating. I, mean, yeah. I, I shouldn't say you know i want this show to be welcoming to everyone but i don't yeah. think anyone's going to be alienated by talking about why record stores are awesome I think, yeah well I think fair, we're I fairly know. safe yeah. here talking about that i don't think if you're pissed yeah. off by that you might be on the wrong podcast um, yeah but I and I and I do agree with you that the technology is amazing and having access to all this stuff is incredible because, you know, as someone who who reaches, researches this podcast, like, you know, like maybe not through the streaming legal streaming services, but certainly through YouTube, which let's face it is the world's largest bootlegger. Uh, I have access to, <laughs> to every record ever made. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> that's a great take. But yeah, yep, agreed. You know, it's, like it's, uh, it's wild it's when you go through it. Yeah, yeah, no, for, as a music fan, like you go through there, like, you know, they don't, they don't have the swankies on streaming services, but they got that on YouTube. <laughs> yes, they have many things, including the Penelope Spheris unreleased OzFest movie, which I recommend. Yes, uh, that, you that was on there too, right? Show. It's fully on there. Yeah, go get it. Damn, um, yeah. Many, many other things as well. But yeah, so. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I I have no take on it. The internet is what it is. Um, I guess if we're going to talk about, you know, I look at doing the show as a chance to learn every time. And I think if I was going to go through all the episodes and kind of like, look at, you know, all the guests together, which scenes do we wind up learning the most about this year? Certainly Los Angeles is number one, which I don't think, uh, I think given punk rock, it's, it's, you're bound to be wind up talking about Los Angeles a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had tons of guests from, you know, obviously the Imperial dogs starting in 1974, right up until, uh, we had some guests on from the last few years from LA. I'm, I think, oh yeah, Barry, Barry Johnson from Joyce Manor was on this yep. year. So that's yep. like kind of more present day Los Angeles and everything in between. Uh, I think for me, one of the most fascinating takeaways of, talking about LA punk is, uh, certainly the go-go's episodes. Those were the ones that, uh, I don't know. We're huge. Getting to talk to go-go's like, what the fuck? That's crazy. That no, really, to... really good. It's funny to think back. I thought that was the previous year. Um, that's how much you've done <laughs> looking at it now. I didn't realize that was all this year. Uh, very good. And it encouraged me also to watch the documentary, which is excellent. And I recommend anyone watch as well. Um, but yeah, all the, all the interviews are great. I think, um, it gave me like, I always thought they were fine, but it definitely gave me a greater appreciation for the band in general. I do think, you know, the Google's 
that first record certainly is very, very good. And, and it's tastefully aged. It doesn't, you know, there's hallmarks of like, you know, kind of the era, but it's not, it's very power poppy as opposed to, you know, whatever other crap in the eighties was happening. So I'm for it. Yeah. Like that band, like the, uh, the history of it. Um, yeah, those were all good, all good episodes. The one of the, was the woman, I, I always forget their names. The one from Austin, who was the later Kathy Valentine. guitar player, guitar player, right? Or basically from the Textones. Yeah. Yeah. So her episode's cool. Cause it, it, it bridges that sort of early Austin thing with that whole thing. And yeah, it's just, it's very cool. They're all great though. I think the best part about those episodes is they're all very cool, like standalone. Like it's funny how each of them have these kind of like really vibrant histories all all onto themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was cool, cool, yeah. uh, very illuminating. Not a world I ever thought. Well, I always thought they were cool, but not a world I ever thought I'd really be certainly researching. And I found myself doing that at the earlier parts of uh, this year. I so, really, yeah, I really feel like I got to prove a long held thesis that the go-go's were truly a punk rock supergroup, and that was based uh-huh. entirely on the fact that i knew there was the germs connection yeah uh and i also knew the eyes connection um yeah. but i i don't think i i know i don't think i i knew about the tech stone stuff no. prior to the last few years and i definitely don't think i knew about the edith the egg lady stuff with gina shock so like learning about all this stuff, I feel very validated in the assertion that the Kogos were a punk rock super group. Yeah. I'm like, goddamn right. Like, from all over the country, they're coming together. Yeah. And it, it was kind of neat, too, because the only stuff I had really ever read was, uh, I guess it would have been in the Neutron Bomb. We got the Neutron Bomb, the book. There's also I a pretty are... wild chapter in um, uh, uh, the Darby Crash one. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah, the, so it was kind of cool, you know, quote, like hearing the expanded versions of these stories. That was like, I mean, very, I don't know. I really, there was this year. It's funny too. Cause again, I, I thought I was slipping and I was comparative to most years where I've listened to literally everyone, but there's a lot this year where I listened to episodes that I was very, um, if you want to pivot off the go-go's real quick, another episode to shout out, like um, what's his face? Danny Elfman's episode was also mm. very good. Um, and also just like kind of a, a bit of a different vibe. Like, you know, only go boy, go has come up here and there on the show, but not at length and just sort of his history and music was kind of wild um, to hear as well. Uh, again, speaking of like LA related things, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I find when I look through, at this list, there's just a lot of episodes where I viscerally like get memories of immediately, like the Shane Carter one, Elfman, um, Gogo's ones are great. The the other one to shout out, um, the Livermore episode, Larry Livermore is it's a great episode. It's like not at all what I expected, but very very cool. Yeah, his life story is. Yeah, it's wild. Fascinating. Holy yeah. shit. Like, yeah, that is one of those episodes that going in, I thought it was going to be one thing and and mm-hmm. coming out, it was something completely different. Yeah. And yeah. Like, oh, the Detroit, once again, Detroit, that's another scene that's, you know, I think New York certainly. And then I think after New York, I think Detroit, we really, uh, really wound up getting a, a good overview of. 
this year from yep. I think we had six episodes of people from Detroit. Um yeah, you had the, the Buick's Detroit as well, right? Yeah, Dave Buick, Dave Otto, Buick. uh from Sold Out. That's uh, right. That's a good episode too. Damn, it was this year, yeah. And then of course the uh Lauren from uh the dogs and then Jeff from Cold as Life. Yeah. And then John Brannon. Yeah. Maybe it's only it's, those five. No, but still, but that's an insane cross section too to get. So you pretty much, you know, aside from getting like anyone in the rap world, like you pretty much covered, you know, or Motown, I guess, or whatever you want to say, like that soul scene. Like you pretty much have all the rock related things in the whole history of punk covered, including, you know, contemporary hardcore. Um, yeah, great. I, all those episodes are excellent too. I forgot about the auto one. That's right. Auto one's great as well, just for like hardcore fans and nerds like myself. Um, but yeah, just good in general. But yeah. Well, it's funny because like all these people in Detroit, you know, kind of know each other or interact with each other or there's connections between everyone from Detroit. Yeah. Whereas when you look at the New York episodes, and there were a lot of people on from New York this year as well, these people, even if they are at the same time period, might not have any interaction or, or you know, might be from the same world and and not know each other or not have any reason to have any sort of you know why would their two worlds intersect for any sort of reason well i mean uh, yeah i don't know my understanding of the detroit thing as much as i can understand it as an outsider is that it's a smaller scene for sure mm-hmm. um so i'm sure that helps and i think the city just i'm sure is a lot di- well i know is a lot different than new york <laughs> And just in terms of this, the way it is. Um, so, and it's like a proper Ross Belt city, of course. So it's like a, you know, it's a whole different thing. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, you were right though. Good Detroit coverage this year. The New York stuff. The, the other one, uh, like to pivot, if, if we're not going to harp on the Detroit thing, unless you want to. Um, the Todd from I Spy episode is very good as well. Yeah. Um, and best. just very very different than i expected also one of the best interviews for like me for people who like again this speaking to what i said earlier of like one the projections that one puts on band members or their thoughts of band members or what they must be like and just the story of i spy just seems so like incidental <laughs> like like it just seems like yeah i kind of want to do this thing and like someone just said yeah let's do a record and then it just becomes like and like i don't know about you well i know about you enough like those records like for you and i were like huge and to think there wasn't like <laughs> to seemingly a great deal of uh you know premeditation to them or like even the band is like insane to me to think of well that's the thing uh, though then there was right because he does break down their songwriting process at a point yeah he yeah. Like, talks about how they were like i forget what band he talks about <clears throat> into and how they were always felt like they were like behind the music or behind mm-hmm. the drums right the guitars and it's yeah. like oh yeah it does have that feel to it so to hear them break down the sound and you're like oh that was a deliberate thing not just by nature of you know whatever playing uh, i don't know i found that very fascinating for me yeah it's what it's an interesting episode in that it's rare I'm trying to think like, it's really hard to articulate, but it's basically like listening to the interview of someone in a band that is explaining to you why 
they aren't in a band or something. It's like, it's very <laughs> interesting. Um, but very cool. And, and like shout out to I spy great band. Great band. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was just a really cool episode and I liked that it lived uh, a life uh, very much apart from the propaganda narrative, although it's obviously in the interview, but I, it, I liked that it was, it was very much that not just, you know, primarily a propaganda thing. And then, pivoted just to the odd question about that it was like very much that focused which is also cool to hear uh, at least for me you know if i'm getting uh, you know taught on i'm going to be talking i'd spy as long like as long as he can take it like, <laughs> yeah no but it was great if he goes back on for a part two i'm going line by line through Dude. songs with him <laughs> nice cool band and like again i think one of those bands for me anyway that i think is probably lost a time a bit mm. and maybe the impact of that band is not i think the the waters are so much more muddy now where i think a band like i spy you know in the 90s anyway played maybe to like the scene of like abolition or something back then to a, to an extent and nowadays i don't think it does play to whatever the modern interpret like the modern version of whatever the evolution thing is i think it's an entirely different thing so it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's wild to see how decades change kind of scenes or whatever, or how things are perceived. But anyway, cool band, worth your time. If you haven't checked them out, go do so. Great episode though. Check that out first. But yeah. Uh, and I guess like the last scene that was kind of, you know, fairly well documented. Um, well, I guess the New York stuff, there's a lot of cool New York episodes, actually, if you go back, I think uh, the Brooke Smith one. If you're not familiar, Brooke Smith, of course, is known for being Grey's Anatomy in the infamous Silence of the Lambs lotion in the basket scene. <laughs> uh, she is uh, very well, big sky. She's been in tons and tons of things over the years. Uh, but she is also like a legit New York hardcore kid. And her episode, hearing her talk about the New York hardcore stuff and rabies and, and everything is, 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 the, is so awesome. Nice. Yeah, that was one, unfortunately, I didn't check out yet. You haven't heard that one? No, I'm going oh. to immediately now that you said all that. But it's, I'm sure you've told me things that I've forgotten over the, the year. But, um, yeah, admittedly, I have to say that. Yeah, but listeners, don't be like me. Go listen to it. That's one you definitely, you and, listeners, you and Chris will be listening to this one after. Because that is, uh, for the New York episodes, that one is is awesome. And, you know, it once again proves the whole thing when you're watching sounds of the lambs you're like oh why is this so haunting it's like because that's a punk rocker in there it could be <laughs> you you're related yeah. to this person because you know deep down that that's a punk rocker in that situation though the irony is i don't think <laughs> someone who i can only assume lived through the 80s new york hardcore scene would be all that much scared of buffalo bill <laughs> but anyway, that's true buffalo bill comparatively buffalo bill will definitely not be the most frightening person in new york hardcore <laughs> yes. uh, in any era um, yeah uh, I, I think the other scene that we documented pretty good this year was toronto of course because mm. we always will wind up talking about toronto I think once again, you go through these episodes. I don't think we have anyone from the first wave of Toronto punk, but uh, certainly uh, Charlie you Angus have had have in the past. Year, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Charlie Angus kind of kicking it off with sort of the early punk scene uh, or like early eighties punk scene in Toronto. 
and then right through through bear from hallucination his episode and and of course uh dave from some 41's episode you really do get a good overview of of kind of like the way music progressed in the city yeah i think you're always going to be on top of that but yes i think the cross-section of guests you got this year was you know obviously including your own band mates or whatever but i think it's um different than normal in, in the sense that you're getting different perspectives than you would normally you've had not that you've only gotten the one type of perspective over the years but you certainly you know our friendship group yours more so than mine are very very much one <laughs> one type for the most part i would say um but yeah those that those are all w- much different like than i would anticipate hearing the history of toronto through Oh, and I forgot two of the best Toronto episodes, the uh, Bruce McCullough episode and the Amazing. Bruce with Bruce episode. Yep. Those two are big, um, really good episodes. Um, really, for me anyway, pretty large, prominent Canadian figure. So if you mm-hmm. are at all, uh, you know, a hoser like myself, then it's something that you should definitely listen to. But I think like, you know, credit due to both of them too, I think. The Bruce episode's insane for the fact of how into punk he is and was. Um, he, that he, was he really got stabbed cool at Husker Du show. <laughs> That's... That that alone, but just like the the stuff he's dropping in that episode is so insane to hear. It's great. Yeah, it's insane. Um, it, he's got great fucking taste. Like every he band he talks about, it's like fuck. That's a killer record. Yeah, and he's like got those records. It's just I don't know. It's cool. He definitely wasn't playing around. He likes it for real. Um, yeah, a great episode. And of course, like an incredibly talented guy. So it's, it's nice to see when someone similar to Bill Hader, where it's like when their work is so good and then they're also just into this big time. It's, it's very re- rewarding to hear um, Bruce LaBruce. I mean, what introduction does he need anymore? I, I think most people are aware in some capacity of his notoriety. So that was a great episode. So that was one of my favorite for the year for a variety of reasons. I just think as a subcultural figure, he's still incredibly uh, important. And so, yeah, that was really good interview as well. Yeah. Like he's someone who, um, you know, as you're saying, like, you know, you hope that people would know his significance, but to hear his significance to punk rock, I think that's the, the thing that I've, I've always wanted to talk to him about, you know, like they mm-hmm. talked to him about the JD stuff and like his influence on fanzine culture and like why in these zines, is he referencing really red, you know, of, of all the bands, you know, and like, yeah. what, where do you hear these bands from and all that kind of stuff? Like I've, I found that for me was like one of those episodes that, cause I used to see him come to the, you know, in addition to being a fan of his, he'd come and rent to the video store I worked at. And I'd always want to punish him like that at the video store. Be like, yo, dude, <laughs> dude. Okay, stop, Bruce. Okay, let's talk. Let's talk Screeching Weasel for a second. <laughs> I think I probably did ask him about Screeching Weasel at the video store. Yeah, yeah. Back then. yeah. I can <laughs> yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, how could you not? But like, you know, like, the, you know, to get a chance to finally sit down and talk to him, like, that's one of the ones, like, you know, this is year seven. Uh, that's one of those ones I've wanted to do since year one, for sure. That was on the list. A lot of this yeah. this year was a lot of people that have been on the list since year one, finally getting, you know, on the show. And once again, hats off to Tristan for booking it. But my, you know, talking to Mac from super chunk, you know, that's my friend. 
I texted him <laughs> on the regular. Could not get yeah. him on the show. Tristan got him on the show finally. You had other big ones. I just I feel remiss that we're gonna like we're we're doing a good job of chatting with stuff, but um Diggle from the Buzzcocks is a huge episode mm. as well. Shane Carter, insane. I was going to say Shane Carter and the clean. We finally, and the clean. Yep. We finally got out of, we've done Canada, America, England, Sweden, a few from Sweden, but, yep. uh, and I think before we had someone from Australia prior to this, I'm pretty sure, but finally got to New Zealand this year. Yep. Twice. Did a great job too. The other one, which we've, we've uh, not to, if we'll go on New Zealand, if you want to talk, chat about that a little more, but the one I, I want to shout out because it, um, I feel for me anyway is one of my favorite footnotes I did with you maybe ever, but certainly this year was the Fred Schneider one about all of the, um, which I'm going to call it. Uh, why am I the name of where they're from escaping me? The Atlanta um, kind of Athens, Georgia. Athens, Atlanta. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. The Athens um, scene or whatever was really, really cool to research. And I just thought it was, uh, it was great. So shout out to that episode. Uh, as well yeah that's a weird episode that i kind of like you know once again forgot even happened this year because it kind of happened at the tail end of yep. 2020 and uh you know like you know it wasn't i had this thing built up in my mind for years and then i did it and i'm like yeah it was okay and yeah. then going back and re-listening to it i'm like oh there's so much cool shit in here but like the pistols and all this kind of stuff you know like yeah. Talk about someone who is influential on punk. I think far beyond he even realizes. I'm sure far yeah. beyond he oh, realizes. Yeah. Yep. I just uh, thought, I don't know, if I think for that, for if you're like a, a music listener, especially one who is sort of interested in digging into different groups or maybe understanding their context a little better, I think that's a great episode to work. Not just the, the Fred one, but just the Athens-related stuff. It's kind of really cool to look into because you, you, at least I, I don't think kind of had the depth of knowledge to understand just how great all of these bands are and, and how important they are. Not that it's not acknowledged, but it's acknowledged in a very, I don't know, like isolated way or something. Like even Pylon still doesn't get enough due when they had that reissue like last year than it was. Mm -hmm. Like just stuff like that is just, I don't know, endlessly cool. Again, it's not, you know, maybe if that kind of thing is not your thing, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as interesting, I guess. But for me, very much so. I just thought it was great. But yeah. Yeah. Like I feel, you know, that's the one thing that is, it's, you realize how unending this is. You know, like there's just, mm -hmm. there's just so many bands that help build this thing and help contribute to it. And, uh, you know, like to, to see them all kind of laid out there. And you, when, I think, you know, like it is manageable. Like, <laughs> To, to try and like understand how this whole thing pieces together but i'm constantly learning more like every episode i learn about a band i didn't know about or the context of something i didn't know about like it it never ceases to amaze me you know steve-o the steve-o uh jackass episode like yeah you know good. like it, the new mexico stuff that he brings up his connection yep. to those bands and, and got instinct yeah. got <laughs> insane instinct. That was amazing. Yep. He he's the only guy I think that can link Gut Instinct to twenty three minutes of nausea to to fucking uh, Gorilla Biscuits. Going to see the Gorilla Biscuits when they played in yeah. London on the first yeah. tour. Uh, 
yeah it's 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 wild like you know and i never thought he was yeah i don't think i ever thought he was a punk prior to seeing you know some photo on the internet that's burned on that episode yeah i mean i I, you know because of whatever the world he's associated with i always assumed he was probably you know into it i had just assumed it might have been more the I don't know. I, I can't, you know, I didn't really know where he was from. So I just assumed, I don't know, like SoCal, whatever. But, you know, yeah, it was a lot more interesting than I expected for sure. Well, it's funny because I'm pretty sure because Danger Aaron was on the show three yeah. years ago now. Uh, I'm like pretty that. sure I asked him about all those guys and what kind of music they were into. And yeah. I guess, you know, you probably just don't discuss that kind of stuff or maybe just don't discuss it the way that we discuss it. But I'm, yeah. there's no way he mentioned that he was into Gut Instinct. <laughs> no that did not come <laughs> no that would have been a very much okay well we need to get him next week oh, we definitely got yeah. on the show right away too sweet yeah. as they say <laughs> um another one i just want to shout out not to take the lead here from you i just i i feel like we're gonna forget and i just want to shout them out the uh the monty from the adams and dfl of course um great episode absolutely um, key for la punk stuff too yeah, and just and just cool. Like it's just not like you know, it's not something that I think just gets unearthed much. And I think it it did a good job of highlighting not only the Adams, which became your obsession, um, but DFL gets gets a lot of love there, and it kind of contextualizes that era of uh, you know whatever that that sort of punk era. And you and I have sort of like behind the scenes discussed that is DFL the first hipster. <laughs> hardcore band that ever existed and i think maybe we're on to something but that's a whole other debate um yeah great that was a good one nancy burrill of course excellent episode um i'm trying to what other ones i have written down here tim kerr obviously another one which is kind of insane and i mean there's so many you got a lot of people this year who have like these like insane careers um that i almost don't feel qualified speaking on to be honest but it's been incredible to either speak on it with you or just have to listen to it so yeah i mean hell of a year man between you and tristan doing whatever you're doing i've been really pleased and even though i didn't listen to everyone i intend to in 2022 yeah like i would i you know and and i would say once again hats off to tristan there's a couple people that just came to me and obviously some friends yeah yeah. for the most part it's him but I would be able to put together a first ballot punk rock hall of fame class out of just people that were on the show this year. Oh, for sure. Easy. For Easy. sure. And starting off of, with Jane County, Jane County would be the top of that list. Jane County. You had a lot of like top, top for me, top, top tier guests. Um, you knocked as I tend to have my esoteric list of people. Um, there are still a handful of people. I hope you interview. I don't know if some of that will be attainable anymore, but um, but yeah, you knocked off, I think, at least two this year, um, which was super cool, of course. But um, yeah, there's there's still plenty to go. <laughs> it never ends. No, and in a good way, it never ends. I, th- I hope, my hope, and this is because this is more of a public forum podcast now, like whatever, in terms of like this episode, I think I just hope that people hear it, that they can see like the, the catalog of guests and they understand that it's not just, 
you know, your average run of the mill. Oh, I'm doing a press run. Let's discuss recent thing X. And then that's about it. Some vapid 10 minute conversation that no one cares about. It's like, it's kind of cool that it's very centralized around the history of journeys of people and how it relates to one thing or another. I don't know. I'm just psyched on it. No, it'll be but an yeah, hour. It'll be an hour and twenty minute plus conversation that no one cares about. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Like about stuff all, that people really don't care about. Yeah, but we've all heard those kind of things. You know what I mean? Of like, like, oh, cool guest, and then like they go on something. You're like, well, I didn't even talk about anything I cared about really. Um, but you know, and in this case, I just I don't know. It's late. I'm just rambling, but yeah. No, I appreciate that, and you're right. It is late, Chris. So we should probably wrap up uh thank you to everyone who listened this year huge huge uh thank you to that uh huge thank you of course to everyone that was on the show uh obviously this thing would be a lot more just rambling between chris and i if these people weren't on we still talk about this stuff but like you know we wouldn't have a lot of context to go off of other than our record collections and uh you know once again thank you to tristan for booking it and uh hopefully uh you'll be around more uh for episodes in the future um because we will be putting up more episodes throughout the rest of the time you know forever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever uh please check out turnedoutapunk.com pick up a t-shirt or patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk and we will see you on the next episode bye Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.